Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. I will have Mr. Jerry Daly come and speak to us first. So let's give it up for Jerry. Come on, Jerry. Well, Pastor reminded me uh, in the back room that everyone may not know who Josh and Jerry is. <laughs> may think of one person. Um, my name is Jerry Daly, for those who don't know it. And just a little bit of background. I've worked in uh, finance and accounting and that sort of thing for probably long that I'm going, longer than I'm going to admit to. Um, I did retire, supposedly about four or five years ago, but uh, now do some healthcare consulting, some tax work uh, that I really thoroughly enjoy helping people with. So, um, so that's who I am. That's the reason I'm standing up here, I guess. But uh, I do want to wish everybody a good evening. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Jordan for the invitation to talk to everybody about finances. It's very important. It's not the most important, but it ranks up there. So um, when I was preparing for this, um, one of the things that came to mind was that we treat finances like we, we talk about, well, there's a practical approach to it. There's a spiritual approach to it. And I'm just one of these that believes that when you take practical approaches to finances and combine them with spiritual principles, it is so much more stronger and will work so much better in your life. They're not always mutually exclusive unless you make them mutually exclusive. So that's one of the goals. Got cerebral tonight, that's one of them. To show you that you can have some practical approaches to your finances, but there's some spiritual underpinning to them. So hopefully that's one thing we'll accomplish. The other thing I wanted to accomplish was to encourage you that financial freedom can really happen in your life. And as Pastor said this morning, financial freedom gives you freedom to be generous. Okay? So that's the other goal, that you can turn your finances around if you want to. This really comes to how bad is your want to, okay? I can't get up here without making a U of L analogy. <laughs> bad timing. <laughs> Back in the day, Coach Schnellenberger came to Louisville and said, we're on a road to a national championship and the only variable is time. I don't have the pipe and all that kind of stuff and probably not the right gravelly voice. But I want to tell you tonight that you can be on the road to financial freedom and the only variable is time. Some of you can get, gain financial freedom in a year. Some may take five years. Just depends where you are. So that's one thing that uh, you can turn it around. So let me see what we got up here. First one uh, is the beginning, you know, kind of where we are. 
So one more. Yeah, there we go. So where are you? We've got a relatively diverse crowd out here, young, old, a uh, little bit of debt, no debt, over your head in debt. Uh, so everybody's at a different place, but the financial principles are still the same. Don't make any difference where you are, you can apply these to your life. The one thing I wanna say when we're looking at these kind of numbers up here is that debt is easy. It's one of the easiest things you can do. So you can pay attention to the numbers, you can argue the numbers. It just says a whole lot of people are in a whole lot of debt. And that's not a good thing. What you have to remember is that credit cards and that sort of thing is your enemy. You've got to get to the point where you hate debt. And I don't like using that, that's a strong word, but you really have to get to that point. And when you get to that point, you can start gaining a little bit of financial freedom. You know, I did put up here, I think the one I wanna highlight here is the number of people who have no emergency savings. Something happened, they turn around, there's nothing there. Then there's very few people that have anything saved up for retirement. It's kind of important to people like me. <laughs> but trust me, if I had learned some of the things I learned earlier in my life, I wouldn't have even faced some of the things I face today. So was it start early, start now, start early, whatever, you know, but you know, the point is a start. You know, Jesus had a lot to say, the Bible has a lot to say about, uh, about debt and about finances. There's put up there uh, 2,000 verses on money and approximately 40% of Jesus' parables deal with money. So God thinks the finances are pretty important. Um, one thing I want to, one of my favorite scriptures is the one that says, Romans 13, 8. I, I kind of want to read, read a little bit, paraphrase it. Owe no man anything except to love one another, except your house payment, your car payment, and maybe an Amazon credit card. <laughs> uh, doesn't say that. <laughs> when, when we're talking about no debt, we're talking about no debt. Finan complete financial freedom. I think the last time I did this, I, I, you know, it's kind of like close your eyes and visualize that you have, that you owe no one. And then what feeling do you have? When, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, I listen, you know, periodically I'll even turn on Dave Ramsey and say, you know, they have the shouts and the screams and all that kind of, it's because some of this stuff is really boring. You know, it's really up to you to do this kind of stuff What I'm going to go over. You know, it's not take two pills, wake up in the morning, everything's going to be okay. It's up to you to do it. It's one thing I learned about this church when I first came in here, uh, Pastor Jordan, is Dr. Jacobs just, I mean, it's amazing how many times he turned it around and said, well, it's really up to you. <laughs> really? <laughs> and at that point in my life, I may not have wanted to hear that. <laughs> so let's go on um, 
to the next one where we're going to talk a little bit about uh, biblical financial principles. And this, is, this one is kind of near and dear to my heart, that first one. Talking about the legacy that you leave. Um, and I'm real big into that. This isn't your inheritance. This isn't monetary, how much you're going to leave your, your children. This is what are you teaching them so that when you are gone, they know what to do. So, you know, so the legacy really is, is what do they see you doing every day in the household? How do you talk about finances? How as a couple do you relate about finances? And because they see, you know, whenever I go over to Gillian's, my granddaughter, um, she might be upstairs and we might be talking about her, you know, what she's doing in school or something like that with her mom. And she's, I can hear you all down there. <laughs> well, they, they hear other things too. <laughs> so the legacy for me is very important. The rest of this, I'm not going to read it to you, but it's, it's basically what Pastor talked about this morning. Everything belongs to God. 10% is your tithe. 90% is what you are stewards of. And, and I, I don't want to de-emphasize that. I'm just not going to be repetitive about it. But the stewardship is, is critical to the point where if you're having problems with things like this, it, it's, it's up here. What did doctor always say? Get out of here. You know, get in, get, uh, get in your heart. Just get it out of your head of how you're going to do this stuff. You have to renew your mind if you're going to be successful in doing this. I've done all this. I haven't even put on my glasses. Oh, there. <laughs> so on the next one, we're talking about financial absolutes. And again, you can see tithing is first. So, you know, first and foremost, manage your money with, with, uh, after you give. Deal with your debt. Establish the savings. So, so this is where I'm going to kind of stop and just basically say, you know, once again, that this, this isn't rocket science. This isn't, you know, th this is just doing things on your own to improve it with some, with some really solid principles. So we're going to start by saying clean up your past and plan for the future. So we're going to talk about credit card debt is the next one. And again, you can see the statistics up here. Basically, it just says a lot of people use credit cards and have like $850 billion worth of debt just in America. You know, we talk about a, a, a world economy, and I, and I understand that, and I appreciate it and all that kind of stuff. But we're really trying to get into a spiritual economy. That's, that's really where we're moving towards. So... We're going to talk about paying off your credit cards. So you're going to come to me and you're going to say, but I pay off my credit card every month. And I'll say, eh, pretty good. You know, congratulations. I think that's a good thing to be doing. You're not spending more on what you have. You at least have enough to pay for it. But I will tell you that on the average, whether you believe 12 to 18% or 20 to 25% or whatever it is, you will spend more money using a credit card than you will with cash. Okay? So I, I was going to do, a, what do you call it, an optic lesson? Okay, okay. 
and I'll just do a little bit of it. So if I gave AMZ $20 and said, you know, you and Jess, you know, go out for lunch, and you have nothing else, no credit card, are you going to go to Longhorn? <laughs> going to go Ruth Chris? No. Okay. Maybe Qdoba? Okay, okay. You're going to have to think about where you're going to go if you got $20 of cash in your pocket. If I have a credit card in my pocket, where you want to go? Anywhere I want to. So it does make sense. And I think even last time I put up a, a thing about McDonald's, and they actually did a study that, that showed how much more people charged than paid in cash for the same similar type orders. And I mean, it was in the 20% range. You know, you'll, going back to this example, you may not get a soda. But if you're using your charge card and you like sodas, give me one and keep it coming. <laughs> so the point is, is that, you know, you may not appreciate it, but you have to understand that you will spend more. So debt is not a sin, but it does put you in bondage. You lose freedom when, when you're in debt. And I'm talking about any kind of debt. You know, so, you know, there's degrees of it. But basically, I do believe that you are in bondage when you are in debt. So the next one is going to be on debt elimination. You know, I, I think Pastor mentioned that, that, you know, don't spend more than you, you, you have. And it's kind of like, well, duh. But then go back to the slide that said that we have $856 billion as Americans on credit card. So how many people really are spending more than what they have? A lot. So th this, this isn't a dumb moment. This, is, this really happens. You know, and you have, to, you have to check yourself to say, am I one of those people who spend more than what they have? You know, whether it's during Christmas season where you think it's justified. <laughs> um, you, you know, you are spending more than what you have. I'll take care of that at a later time. Not a good plan. Not a good plan at all. So this is easy, it's hard, to, you know, it's easy to say and hard to do. It's the way I phrase it. Um, and you know, everybody's heard Dave Ramsey's snowball effect. That's really what it is. You're really just trying to take, if you have multiple credit cards, take the smallest one, pay it off, take that amount, put it on the second one when you have that paid off until you eliminate all the debt. So again, not, you know, I haven't invented anything here. And that has been an effective way to eliminate credit card debt. But then the question comes in, it's like, well, what, what about vehicles? What about home mortgages? You know, how do you feel about that? Well, I feel like debt's debt. And once you get your credit cards paid off, and you can do that, then you want to start attacking, you know, whether it's your car, and I would say this, are you, are you overdriving the car that you own? You know, do you need to downsize it a little bit? And when I say downsize, I don't mean make it smaller. 
I mean, you know, from what you owe. You know, because some people at the spur, you know, I don't want to say spur of the moment, but they'll overbuy. Sure. Yeah. When a little bit nicer, you know, sounds good. The car payment seems to be okay. But you're really obligated. I, I'm old enough to remember when, if you did finance the cars for three years. I don't think you can do that. <laughs> well, you can, but the payment is like astronomical with the cost of cars. So, the thing about vehicles and home mortgages, when you start getting to that, is that if you're saying, but I live paycheck to paycheck, and I, you know, I can't even find the way to get that first card paid off without making the minimum payment. And this is where I'm going to borrow a little bit from Pastor Jordan this morning as far as you're probably not going to like the answer. <laughs> but I will guarantee you that if I looked at your spending patterns, I would find something that needs to be eliminated from your life. <laughs> Um, you either need to eliminate it or sacrifice it. And both of them get the same result. So if you are that deep in a situation that you cannot give, get out of without making minimum payments on the debt that you owe, then we need to probably have, and I don't mean me, but you need to have a conversation about what needs to go. And so I, yeah, I kind of made a list. Cable, eating out, snacks and sodas from the grocery store, coffee shops. If you go to work, if you consider carpooling, sell assets, review your insurance policies and make sure that you're getting what you need from those and not overpaying. Use the envelope cash method if you can't control yourself relative to your credit cards. I always hesitate to say this one because it's not for everybody. Extra job. And that's not an extra job on Sunday morning. <laughs> but if you do $20 an hour for 20 hours a week, for 20 weeks, you'll gross $8,000. So an extra job for a season to get the ball rolling in the right direction I think you ought to possibly consider it. If you are at that point where you can't even move forward with your finances, then you got to do something different. You got to sell something. You got to gain extra income because it ain't going to change by just hoping and praying. I, I mean, I'll just guarantee you it's not going to change. So debt freedom means you have freedom to be generous. And here I also hesitated to do this, but I'm going to, because I think it's important for you to know that this can really happen. So Lois and I, I'm gonna say, she's great at this kind of stuff, and I'm going, I, you know, what happened last week, you know, type thing. But I, I guess 25 years ago, um, we made a decision that we were going to go on a five-year plan to be debt-free. 
And so for the last 20 years, we have not had a car payment and we have not had a house payment. And that's not about me, you know, it's not about Lois. Well, maybe it's a little bit about Lois. But it's not about me. Um, it, it just says it, it can be done. And that's important. And it wasn't like we were at the top of our professions at that time when we made that decision. In fact, truth be known, I kind of went a little bit kicking and screaming. You know, we talked about it. And it's like, eh, yeah, yeah, I, I'd like kind of sort of maybe you like that. <laughs> I, like, I like the end result. I'm not sure I like the steps to get there. And, you know, I was, I was up here. I said, well, you know, money's kind of cheap when you're borrowing it right now. If we took that money, you know, keep making the house payment, but took that money, put it over here and invested it, man, we make, you know, it's kind of like zero debt, financial freedom. That's what it is. And, and when you, so when you kind of get rid of that kind of stuff in your brain, in your mind, and understand that you, if you want total financial freedom, you don't owe anybody. And you don't want to owe anybody. So, so it can be done is all I'm saying. So I want to go to the next piece, which is managing your money. And i got to hustle here. All I'm going to do here is highlight, because I like John Maxwell, uh, secret of success is found in our daily habits. Your financial habits, if they got to change, change them. If you don't change them, as the old saying goes, nothing else is going to change. So, you know, that's kind of like, again, one of those duh moments. So the next one is managing money. If you're married, this is a group discussion. And I'm not saying that one person can't handle the bills and all that kind of stuff. But when you're talking about the things that we're talking about now, about getting out of debt, how are we going to get out of debt, how long is it going to take to get out of debt, what sacrifices are we willing to make, that sort of thing, it's a group discussion. If your kids are old enough, they need to be, you know, not part of the intimate discussion you know, about how you're building it, you know, how you're building the bridge. They don't need to know that part. They just need to know mom and dad are, are excited about something they're getting ready to do. It's going to take a little bit of sacrifice, but we want you guys to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. We're doing it for you. So when they do have those requests at times that maybe you have to say no to, they still may not like the answer, I'm not suggesting they will. <laughs> but at least they may have a better understanding of why you're, you're, why you're saying no at that particular time. So, you know, including the kids, I think, is really important. The next one is know where your money is going before you spend it. I love it because I'll, I'll be doing a little bit of counseling with some individuals, and I'll say, well... Um, how you, how you keep track of your, your finances. And they'll whip out the old iPhone and they'll show me a pie graph. So this is where my money goes. 
I said, you're right, that's where it went. Where was it supposed to go? That's, that's the key. Did you spend it where you were supposed to be spending it, or did you just spend it? So there are people out there who I think are gifted to help you, you know, and I, you know, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan myself. Andrew Womack has this Basic Sense program that you can refer to. You know, they're like everything else. They cost some, you know, cost a little bit of money. I don't know how much, but it's not... It, it's one of those things that's an investment. Not a huge investment, but it is an investment. And again, it goes back to how bad you want it. So, so let's, let's kind of get into some of the nuts and bolts here, if you will, about spending priorities. Again, I've just already mentioned, know, you know, know where you, uh, to spend it before you spend it. If you need cash envelope system, that's fine. Um, that, that has worked, but from a budgeting standpoint, you want to do a zero-based budget until nothing is left. And that doesn't mean, the key, uh, well, actually, the key is to budget everything, not spend everything. Spending everything's easy. Spending it in the right places, that, that's a little bit of a challenge, but you got to set it up first. You got to know where you want to spend it. It's part of the plan. And again, if it's a, a three-year plan, a five-year plan, it could be a 10-year plan. That's fine. That, that's not a problem. But every, at least once a year, and it has to be tweaked during the year because things do happen, you want to budget. Remember, you will have quarterly, semi-annual, annual payments that need to be, because we think, what do I owe this month? What do I owe this month? What do I owe this month? And it's, it's like, well, and then in six months, it's like, well, the, the car insurance bill just came in and I haven't saved anything for that. That needs to be part of the monthly budget. Um, the other revelation I'm gonna tell you on this one is Christmas is December 25th. If you're going to spend things for Christmas, budget for it and stay, you know, stay on what you said you're going to budget. Because what do we do? We don't have a budget. Oh, credit card. There'll be a temptation to take that out. And you will, I will guarantee on that one you will overspend. Um, all of us have birthdays, all of our kids have birthdays, all of our parents have birthdays, all of our grandparents have birthdays, budget for them. So when I'm talking about budget, I'm not saying, well, what are the five biggest categories? Let me put those down on a spreadsheet and make Jerry happy. You know, I'm talking about taking your weekly, bi-weekly, semi-monthly, monthly paycheck that you get or both of you get and saying, we're where do we need to spend this? And where, where, you know, where's the tithe? You know, tithe comes off first. So that's the easy one. If you're in a situation where you have no credit card debt, and maybe you have some, uh, you know, an auto payment or something of that nature, you may want to start kind of bifurcating this thing and going, just putting a little bit back for savings for your emergency fund but also paying off maybe a vehicle. So there's not, and, and again, this is so personal to every individual. 
as far as what their needs are, how deeply in debt they are, or are they just trying to improve their situation so they're totally debt-free? That's the goal for everybody. How we get there may be a little bit more of a zigzag, but you can get there regardless if you have the plan and you stick to it. Um, I did put up their savings for emergency retirement. So this brings me to a person we were helping, uh, Lois and I, was a friend of ours, came to visit us and the number one thing of, of doing that was to um, help with their finances. So I said, well, be prepared. You know, because I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And she was real good about, uh, so we're going to need to get online, see what your accounts look like, all that kind of stuff. So we got to her utility bill. It's kind of like this $50 kept showing up on the utility bill every month. And it wasn't for electricity. So what's this? Well, somebody had come by the house and said, you know, we've got a maintenance program with this utility company. They're a third party with that utility company in the state where she lives. And I think she bought like three or four things to protect it. Her water heater was one of them. Well, that's only $19.95 a month. Well, she bought $50 worth of 1995s or whatever the math is on that. And I said, you know, that can go. That can go, you know, you can save $50. This person, as sweet as she is and everything, she wouldn't go out and buy clothes. She limited herself to one meal out a month, usually with people after church. I mean, she was disciplined. But then on the other hand, it was kind of like, you know, she, you know she's widowed and um, just was, I, you know, I, I can't handle if something goes wrong. Well, come to find out, and this is a little bit longer than it needs to be, the policy didn't even cover the water here. They would give you a recommendation to get a discount, to have somebody come in and replace it, which you still had to pay for. And I think it did cover some of the labor. Wasn't worth it at all. So, yes, I can find things. <laughs> uh, fixed expenses, easy for me to say, fixed expenses, housing, food, transportation, and utilities. I, I put cell phones, discretionary, I know with no landlines, we need a cell phone. Talk about the type of cell phone, okay, as far as what you spend. So let's, let's hit the other one, start getting to a wrap-up here. As Brother Jordan said, or Pastor Jordan says, that doesn't mean five minutes. So I can't get up here without talking a little bit about taxes, okay, because it is the season. Um, the most important, well, self-employed. Uh, I want to talk about that just for a second. If you work for somebody and you have an employer, they're taking care of all your taxes for you. They, it's called withholding. They send it off to the government uh, entities and everything. Um, but if you're self-employed, it's your responsibility to do that. And I'm finding more and more people not remembering that or not remembering it to the level that they need to remember because then come tax time, they owe a whole bunch of money. So if you're self-employed, pay attention. Uh, if for tax filing, if you make, I think it's $73,000 uh, or less, you can file for free. I love the commercials. It sounds like when you listen to the commercials, it's all free. It's not. 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about earned income credit. Uh, it's available to low, medium income workers with children. Now it's available to some who do not claim children, so that's changed a little bit. And most importantly, it's also available to people over 65 who have earned income. Earned income is not Social Security or your pension. If you're actually working for somebody and have earned income, then, then you qualify based on amount, it can be too much, uh, you can uh, be qualified for earned income credit on that. If you file electronically, you can get it in 21 days, six weeks of your paper file, and the due date is 2022. I did skip over one important thing for people with kids. Uh, last year in 2021, uh, some of you got for your kids $250 or $300 a month. That stopped in December. It was an advance on this year's this year, 2021 tax return. It was like $3,000 or $3,600 that was for one year only. This year it's back to $2,000 with no advance. So that's, that's my tax 101 on that particular one. So I know that uh, if I could get the last slide up there while I'm talking about one thing and this is in um, for Dan Wells. <laughs> the qualified charitable contribution. I don't think I see any seniors in here, but if, if you are over 70 and a half or 70 and a half and over, you can have your charitable contributions taken out of your retirement fund and sent directly to the charitable organization, i.e. Church on the Rock. Okay, there is a tremendous tax benefit to doing that. So when you reach that age, remember that. It also will lower your taxes. So I just wanted to read the first part of this, but you shall earnestly remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you wealth. So while we're talking about all this stuff, about what we need to do, it's he that will multiply it. So thank you very much again. And I'll be back up here for the Q&A, but I'm going to turn it over to my... Brother Josh. Brother Jerry, that was excellent. Excellent. Well done. So people ask me all the time if I know a tax guy, I tell them no. <laughs> so I appreciate you, Brother Jerry. I know you're always helpful. Uh, to listen to and just to me personally with some of the advice you give, so thank you for that. Um, just to give you all a little background about myself, uh, my name is Josh Lowry, a little bit background about what I do for a living. Um, I'm here to talk to you more so on the wealth management side of things, say when we put the practical things that Brother Jerry just discussed with us into play, we gain financial freedom, now we have access, next step is what do we do with that? How am I a faithful steward? with what I've been blessed with, right? So uh, just a little bit of background about myself work-wise. Um, I am a private client financial advisor with JP Morgan. Um, if you see Chase Banks around, every Chase Bank probably has a JP Morgan advisor in it, such as myself. Um, been doing it, been in the finance industry over 10 years. So it was actually 10 years last July. Um, about my business personally, currently am responsible for handling about 65 million in assets. 
So, you know, not chump change we're talking here. So definitely a lot of responsibility that yeah. comes with that. Um, but it's fun. I enjoy it. I know one of the best things I like about my job and what I do is just more so kind of what I'm doing today, just more so from an educational standpoint, just talking to people who, you know, it may all be new to them. You know, they may not have came from money. They may be first generation wealth wealth owners and you know just getting into that season and that stage of life and just have absolutely no clue as far as what to do or and they are humble enough to understand that and ask for help so hopefully some of what the information I provide to you today will will be able to help you um, and be practical along the way as well so I will start out just with a um, scripture and a passage and I know Pastor Jordan mentioned it this morning in Matthew 25 about the talents. I always mention that whenever I get up in front and share on more or less investing and kind of what that means and what that looks like, just because sometimes I feel like that's a boogeyman type of word <laughs> with us Midwesterners and even us church folks is yeah. when, you know, when we hear stock market, we get spooked out and <laughs> say, hey, like that's the devil, you, you'll lose all your money, don't do it, right? <laughs> so. You know, so just kind of shed some light on that, but I'll actually read this passage quickly. It's Matthew 25. I'll start in 15. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities he then left on his trip. Verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of silver, note, began to invest the money and earn five more. 17, the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So I'll freeze there for just a second. That is literally what I see every single day is basically, especially when you come from more or less humble beginnings, the natural instinct is to clutch tight and to hold on to what you have. Um, I know right now as far as just kind of things that are going on in the stock market, you know, hasn't been, you know, the greatest for the last few months. But typically when my phone rings, it's typically not from my clients who have the most money. It's typically from the ones who are concerned or scared that they are going to lose all their money and don't have enough, right? So I always thought that was interesting in that parable, you know, and I would challenge you if you think like, hey, I'm not where I need to be, you know, stretch yourself a little bit, you know, step out of your comfort zone some. Um, First and foremost, I'd always tell everybody to pray about what you need to do with your access before you do anything um, and have peace about it. But I'll continue here quickly. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. If you caught that, right, his money. So the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. Uh, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. And guess what? Now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you have gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have heard two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So, those first two individuals that were mentioned in this parable, I always thought it was interesting that whenever they were obedient and did what they were told to do, what happened? Not only did they celebrate, what happened before that? They received more, 
right? You know, so just being obedient and just using the tools that are out there, you know, can actually help you, you know, in the long run, you know, rather than hurt you in the short run, which is kind of what I feel like most of us have, have been taught or have heard to some degree in, a, in our lives, right? So, and then the last one. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, I do not want that to be me. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and cultivate, crops I, I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. So I'll stop there. Uh, but more or less, you know, the premise is, is there are multiple ways to invest money. There is not a one-size-fits-all. There's also not a get-rich-quick way to do it. Um, but more or less, um, I'll get into that a little bit later, but more or less what I'll start with is more so just some practical ways on how we need to save, um, how we need to save it, and how we should prioritize it. So if I could get the first slide up, that would be fantastic. All right, great. We'll start there at the bottom, right? Emergency fund. So once we get to that point, everybody needs an emergency fund. So when I'm thinking emergency funds or when you think of emergency funds, checking and savings, right? You know, checking savings, money markets, those are all things that are easily accessible, easily liquid, you know, more so vehicles that can be used to cover things such as, hey, you know, need to put a roof on the house, you know, water, water heater went out, got to replace that, you know, quick grab cash. Common mistake I see a lot of people make is they overdo it, number one, is, you know, I have conversations with clients all the time, prospective clients all the time, hey, I'm sitting on, you know, 100, 150, two, three, four, half million dollars in a savings account, and that's not really prudent and practical, and I will show you out here in just a second, but moving along. So as you go up, number two and number three, kind of box those together because those both have to deal with your retirement plans through your employer, if your employer provides that. Um, so when it talks about HSAs, those are health savings accounts, more or less um, accounts you can utilize to pay for medical expenses um, that have some tax benefits in there. I'll let Jerry share with you if you have questions on HSAs. Um, defined contributions, keyword to maximize employer match. So defined contribution, think of that as your 401k. 401ks, 403bs, um, things of that nature. I always tell people to try to maximize that if possible. Ask if your employer if they do sponsor a retirement plan for you, ask what the match is. Because yeah. for me, that's essentially free money. Yeah. So if they say, hey, we will match you dollar for dollar up to 5%, you need to be contributing at least 5%, um, if at all possible, okay? Um, moving along. Number four, going, stealing some of Jerry's thunder there. As far as prioritizing, pay down higher interest loans. So when I think higher interest loans, most of the time those are credit cards. Um, okay, um, or even if I've seen people who don't have great credit and have taken car loans out that are paying a high rate, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12%, I've seen car loans that high. Um, try to knock those out first, but not at the expense of, of paying yourself. Okay, uh, moving right along as far as the next two, 
um, additional HSA, additional defined contributions. Um, if you can max those out, you know, that would be great. So basically that's excess. So, okay, hey, we're doing bare minimum. You know, say, hey, if they're going to match us five, we're going to contribute five. Hey, we're going to chop down some high interest debt that we have. You know, but now, hey, if we have the ability to and we can afford at that particular point to contribute 10 percent, you know, contribute 10 percent. Um, next one, pay down lower interest loans. So it's got student loans on there as an example, um, but that's where, you know, hey, if I want to double up on my mortgage payment, kind of chop that down a little bit quicker. Um, if I do have a car loan that's not a high interest rate car loan, you know, hey, make an extra car payment or two every year just to try to eliminate that debt. Um, and then the last two are IRAs. And number nine is a taxable account. That's pretty much anything you invest outside of retirement vehicles. So um, with the type of IRAs, we can go to the next slide, please, because I get asked this question a lot, is, okay, what should I do? What type of IRA, which IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account, um, should I have? And how is it beneficial? So I know kind of the term Roth IRA is kind of a buzzword now. It's become increasingly popular. Um, the only, the major difference between, say, a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA is just tax implications, okay? So also just know that a Roth IRA is not an investment. A traditional IRA is not an investment. Think of it as a tax shelter. So essentially, I can invest in the same thing inside of a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA, but it's just different how it's taxed whenever either I put money in or I take money out to use it. So for me, as far as making the decision, I'll go through this in just a second, is pretty much with any type of retirement account, we know we're going to have to pay Uncle Sam eventually. The, right, death and taxes, right? So the, the key question is, okay, when do we want to pay them, right? So my rule of thumb for that, and this is just me personally, is Roth IRAs are great as you are starting out, say like, hey, I'm fresh out of school, I got my first job, I'm making 30, 40 grand a year, you know, I'm starting to advance in my career, I'm telling you, great, hey, set up a Roth IRA, that way you can put money away while you're in a lower tax bracket, you know, so that way when you withdraw it in retirement, they're not going to tax you on it twice. Because if you look at that Roth IRA, that minus there means basically it's subject to taxes, the plus sign means it's tax deferred. Um, so with a Roth IRA, your contributions into a Roth, they do not count as deductions whenever you go to file taxes, but the benefit is whenever you withdraw them in retirement, which retirement age to withdraw from IRAs without penalty is 59 and a half, um, they don't tax you on the back end. So just think of it this way, I'm 20, me not, I'm 33, but if I, if I, if I was, Say I'm 22, 23 years old, right, and I'm starting out, and I'm able to put away, call it $50,000 by the time I'm 30 into a Roth IRA and invest it, say, pretty aggressively, right? And I retire at 60. So that's 30 years that I have $50,000 invested, you know, which over time, um, I wish I had a chart in here, I don't, but more or less, when I retire, I can say, okay, hey, here's a pool of money, and we'll, for the sake of an example, we'll say half a million dollars that I know I can pull from and access without having to pay taxes. As opposed to if I put everything in, you know, and solely just only use my 401k 
or a traditional IRA and do the same thing, it's great. But when I pull that out in retirement, I have to pay the tax man now. Yeah. You know, so, but then I also get the people that are, you know, doing pretty well. You know, say, hey, I'm a higher, higher wage earner at this point. And they come into my office and they say, hey, I want to do a Roth IRA. And my immediate response is, why? Yeah. You know, you're making $150,000 a year. Do you think you'll be making $150,000 in retirement? Probably not. You know, so why would we pay the tax man at a higher tax bracket? Why not just kick that can down the road and handle it more efficiently and still keep everything tax deferred until retirement? Okay, so just a couple of practical things there um, as far as, you know, IRAs. Another thing about IRAs before we move on, um, once again, think of the IRA as just the, more or less the garage or the tax shelter, right? You know, so I know people all the time that says, hey, I've set up my IRA. My accountant told me to put $6,000 in it. I've put $6,000 in it. How much money am I going to make? And my answer is none because you haven't invested it. You know, so that's, that's a common mistake I see is like, hey, I have an IRA, and then I get it, and it's just been sitting in cash for 10 years. It hasn't done anything. You know, so, so just make sure that if that is something that you are instructed to do, just make sure to take the next step and try to consult, you know, even if you don't know what you're doing. You know, there's a lot of professionals out there either um, – through your employer. I know they have individuals that can help you as far as making um, selections with your retirement funds or even just through you know, an outside source, okay? Uh, next slide, please. All right, cash isn't always king. I am going to slaughter some Midwestern sacred cows here with that, okay? Um, like I was mentioned earlier, um, is there such a thing as having too much cash? Absolutely. I know it's a shock to some, but yes. Notice when, before when we're talking about savings, three, three to six months living expenses, or I would even also say, um, if you know you have a big expense coming up, you know, hey, like I know I'm about to buy a new house, I need 20% down payment, you know, okay, hey, you know, we're gonna do a kitchen reno, gotta have some ready cash, okay, great. But outside of that, is there such thing as having too much cash? Absolutely, this is why. So if you look at here, the gray bar on this chart represents the average return of a six-month CD, okay? If any of you all have looked at CD rates lately, we will pray for you to not <laughs> pray that spirit of depression off of you, right? So um, I've always thought this was very interesting because if you look just over the course of time and we see that those CD rates have, of course, come down. Right, you know, so, but you also see there's a correlation to where those rates are and also those other colors, that's just inflation, right, with how things appreciate and get more expensive over time as well. Those have actually came down as well a little bit too over time. So some of you that are a little more seasoned in here probably can remember in the 80s when probably your first home loan you got, your mortgage was probably 12, 15%, right? us young pups who've been borrowing money to buy houses for three to five are like, what, that's crazy. So, but that's the real thing, guys. That's actually what happened. But also at the same time, you could go to the bank, you could open a savings account and the bank would pay you four or 5% for that. Um, that's not the case anymore. So I have conversations, once again, all the time, is FDIC, 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 FDIC. 
I want any, everything that's FDIC. If it's not FDIC, I don't want to do it, right? Which, honestly, it stems from this, because that is a learned behavior, because mom did it, grandma grandpa did it, you know, they always told me, grew up, you know, either went through the depression, you know, or know people that did and said, okay, hey, this is how you protect yourself. If it's not FDIC, don't do it. It's not good for you. You'll lose your money, right? So, but also, too, I always say there's a difference between the premise and the method, right? So, I always tell people, too, like back in the 80s when you could get 10% for a CD, it's not a bad deal, you know, especially if you have financial freedom and don't owe anybody any money and you just can sit money there and be guaranteed 10%, I'd tell you to do that all day long, right? Thing is, you can't do that now, right? And I guarantee you, if CDs were paying less than half of 1% back in the 80s, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa wouldn't have done it either, okay? That was just a tool that was available to them at that particular time, you know, to necessarily meet that need. So, I've even gone as far to tell some people this. If I were to tell you, hey, there's an investment out there where you're guaranteed to lose 2 to 3% every year, <laughs> would you sign on the dotted line and say, yes, that's where I want to keep all my money in that investment that's guaranteed, at minimum, to lose 2 to 3% every year? That's exactly what your savings account is. Okay? Um, Borderline for any excess funds should be bare minimum, keep pace with inflation. And, and uh, for me, inflation does move around. It's a little higher right now. But traditionally, I'd say, hey, anywhere between 3 to 5% should be at least what your, call it stash cash, or excess cash should be earning to at least try to keep pace with inflation. Otherwise, it's losing value. Yeah, right. We've seen it in a lot of things. Um, I'll tell you a personal story, and I'm not that old. I bought my first home in 2012 and paid $105,000 for it. Um, when I actually moved, sold it to a friend of mine. He sold that house less than a month ago for $185,000. Same house in 10 years. You know, so if I had taken this approach and said, hey, you know, I'm just going to save some extra money, and just so that way, hey, for my next house, yeah, I just want to pay cash for it. You know, it's, it's just not going to keep up. Or I'm not going to get as much house, you know, or what I want. Let's put it that way. So, um, so just, just a little note there as far as just with cash. There is such a thing as having too much cash. So just to make sure that, you know, you evaluate that. I know everybody's individual situation is different. Um, but that's just something to be cognizant of. I call inflation the silent killer when it comes to just retirement planning and wealth management. Um, also, side note on FDIC and how it actually works. So FDIC was put in place to basically prevent bank runs during the Depression era when, hey, all the banks failed and everybody went to go get their money and the banks didn't have any. So the government established the FDIC to more show, hey, we're going to insure your deposits up to $250,000 per account. The FDIC on their website also tells you that in the case that FDIC has to come in and save the day, they have 99 years to pay you back your money. <laughs> it's, it, it's in print, it's on their website. I'm not saying the FDIC is evil or bad, but just understand you know, that 
they can take their time, you know, if it, if it comes to that. And I'll honestly say that's why it matters. Honestly, where you bank, I would challenge you to research your bank to see the strength of the financial institution on whom you bank with, you know, for, for that very reason, okay? Uh, next slide, please. All right, so um, it's a little small print, but I'll explain it uh, more so in detail. You have it there also on your sheet. So when it comes to that, as far as like, okay, I always like to say, kind of like how we've been teaching on prosperity with a purpose, anything with your money and where it's aligned and where it is should also have a purpose to it as well. Um, common mistake I see is, hey, I've got all, you know, my excess, I invested it, it's all in one account. Great, okay. You know, so I'm more of a visual person, so for me, I kind of like to call it, you know, more or less a bucket analogy, right? So it's like, okay, hey, we need, you know, short-term bucket, kind of a lifestyle bucket, and then a surplus bucket. So first bucket is more so liquidity bucket. For me, that's more so of just your, kind of what we talked about before, you know, three to six months living expenses. Um, if you have any large purchases or anything coming up that you know you're gonna make, um, that's more or less that liquidity bucket there. So when it says what vehicles can be used for that, you know, cash, money markets. When it says ultra short term fixed income, what that is are just short term bonds. Um, things that maybe can pay a little bit more in interest, but also just understand too that bonds can, can fluctuate in value, so be cognizant of that. Um, and then also just your current income. So now going to your lifestyle bucket. So for me, this is probably where the, the larger sum of your assets will be for the most part, because these are, this is the bucket that is more so to say, okay, hey, when I do decide or have the ability to say, hey, I'm not gonna work anymore, I still need to have some type of cash flow coming in to, to live and, and make ends meet. So, so those are things you know, where you, know, you would have more or less your retirement accounts, you know, your investments, things of that nature to more so fit that bill there. Um, surplus bucket, you know, that's when you get into like, hey, you know, not only have I amassed quite a bit of monetary wealth, but maybe I have, you know, a lot of illiquid assets as well, such as, you know, hey, property, right, farms, things of that nature. That's when you start getting into real estate trust or trust, you know, estate planning, um, things of that nature, more so there. So the key to that is typically as you go down that spectrum from your short-term bucket to your long-term bucket or shelf money, you can have more of a growth tilt the more time you have. So when it comes to investing, I always tell people to understand that time is your friend. I'm sure some of you have probably heard the old adage, it's not timing as far as like, hey, when do I get in, when do I get out? It's time in. How, how long do we have, yeah. right? You know, so especially it's important to remember in times like now, you know, because I'm sure some of you, if you pay attention to it, you've probably gotten your investment statements the last few months and fear tries to creep in, sure. right? You know, so just understand if, you know, whoever's giving you their advice, I mean, I'm sure they would tell you, just remember to, to think long-term here. So if I could get the next slide, please. So once again, talking about uh, maintaining a long, a long run mindset, you know, this is kind of where I like to burn the boogeyman adjective for the stock market at the stake. So 
I always say the stock market is more or less an avenue. It's not an end-all, be-all once again. Um, but it's also a tool that can be used to help us to not only gain financial freedom, but, but to be prosperous in the long run. So the typical response I get when it's like, hey, I don't want to invest the stock market, I'll lose all my money, okay? Even on this chart, so basically to give you a little background on this chart, it basically gives a one-year, a five-year rolling, a 10-year rolling, and a 20-year rolling uh, return figure for the blue is all stocks, the light purple is all bonds, the dark, deep purple or magenta for, for some of you is the 50-50, hey, if I have a 50-50 stock bond mix, what that looks like. Um, one thing I like about this is that, that first, first line there, that one year, that one year, call it avenue there that they got up on the screen. Um, a lot of times people will make the decision that says, okay, like, yes, like, I'm finally gonna invest some money, and then a year later, and say if it's on the downside of that, oh, that was the worst thing I've ever did, I'm done, right? and we want to more or less cut our losses, get out, eh, it's not for me, you know, and then after we do that, now anytime anybody asks us, oh, don't invest, you'll lose money, you know, right? But what you'll find here is what happens as that rolling time period goes further and further out, okay? You notice that the range of return gets tighter so there's not as much variance the longer we have it. And also too, you know, even going out to that 20 year, there's not a single negative number there. Um, even on the five year rolling period. Now granted, this is over 70 years. So from 1950 to 2020, and you can pick any five year window, any five year stretch of time. If you're in a 50-50 stock bond portfolio for the last 70 years, there's never been a five year time period where you've lost money. So, you know, so for me, once again, you know, like, hey, we understand, you know, things happen, right? Like Pastor Jordan said this morning, hey, a bomb could go off somewhere and the stock yeah. market doesn't like it and throws a fit, yeah. right? But just understand that that's okay and also understand that that's also normal. So if I could get the next slide up here, that'd be great. I call this my measles chart. Um, I typically use this in about every client meeting, especially times like now when people call and have concerns. So what this shows is that those purple dots there, or the measles we'll call them, represent the low point in the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 is just, for all intents and purposes, the 500 largest companies in the United States, and they're all on an index, right? And that's typically how we track stock market performance. I would tell you to more or less, if you do have investments, I know a lot of people pay attention to the Dow. I like the S&P just because it's a broader sample size. Um, gives, a, gives a better indicator. But the measles, so basically it says, okay, hey, what's the low point in the market every year since 1980 from the baseline? So as you can see, there is always a purple dot. Yeah. 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 Correct? Yeah. Right. So um, also too, just also notice that those solid bars are where the market finished at year end. Okay? So reason I use this, um, 
people will get a statement like, hey, I'm, I'm down 2 3%. But the thing is, most people don't think that way. Most people think dollars, yeah. right? You know, it's like, oh, my goodness, I got my statement. I'm down, you know, $10,000. What's going on? You know, it's kind of like, hey, if you got $500,000 in your account, ten grand is a drop in the bucket. Like, let's not panic. Yeah. So, so more or less, it says, despite inter-year drops of 14%, annual returns were positive basically three out of every four years. You know, and that's just if you're all in the stock market. That's not saying if you're a 50-50 stock bond mix. Um, you know, so I would say, you know, now there is no exact science to this. You know, so, but if I were to tell you, hey, you know, every three, three out of every four years, you know, we're going to be right and we're going to make some money, yeah. right? That, hey, I'll take that. Yep. We're not going to bat a thousand. Mm -hmm. There'll be a year in there, you know, where, hey, it, you know, we might go backwards a little bit. That's okay. Yeah. You know, we, once again, we have to keep that long run mindset in mind. So if I could get the next slide, please. Um, once again, stay invested, stay invested, stay invested, stay invested. This to me is uh, probably the second most powerful chart that I like to utilize. The most powerful chart we'll end with, you guys will really like that one. So this here, what this states is um, basically, and I like it because it uses you know, a manageable number, 10 grand. It says, hey, if I invested $10,000 in December of 2001, and just left it alone for 20 years and invested it in the S&P 500, my 10 grand would now be close to 60. So that 9.16% is an average return on that 10 grand over a 20 year period. So the steep drop off you see on the next bar basically says, hey, if we got nervous during one of these bouts of volatility anytime over the last 20 years, and we said, hey, I'm going to pull my money out, and I'm just going to wait till things get a little bit better, and then I'll get back in, yeah. right? If I had a nickel for every time I've heard that, I'd write you a check to pay the church off. <laughs> so even missing the 10 best, 10, 10 days, the 10 best days over 20 years almost cuts our return in half, right? Because typically, you know, and we've, we've actually seen it, here in the last few weeks is, you know, hey, when things get a little choppy, yeah. right, typically there's a day or two where the market really booms for a day or so, right? And typically it's probably the day after you said, hey, I'm going to get out. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, if I just wait the next week. You know, so, but then it goes down the line, you know, 20 days, 30 days. So, like, even if you just missed the 30 best market days over a 20-year period, you basically haven't made anything. So, so for me, that's extremely powerful because I'm like, that's 30 days per year, right? And they're like, no, it's 30 days over that 20-year period. You know, so I always say that's, that's the purpose of why a good advisor, and this is how I always tell people if you know that you have a good, a good advisor will do planning more or less for you before they give you a recommendation you know, because everybody's situation is different. And more or less, I like to let clients know, like, hey, as long as we're still on track to meet your goals and objectives, we're fine. We can make tweaks to what we're doing investment-wise. We can make changes, but will we ever say, hey, we're just going to get out for a little bit and sit on cash for six months? We're not going to do that because that's not efficient. Um, also, too, most people that want to do that, 
typically it's like, oh yeah, Cage, things, are, things aren't going too well. I want to kind of hang out and cash for a little bit, right? You know, and then I want to get back in a little later when things calm down. So what do they mean by when things calm down? <laughs> so, so for me, what that means is like, oh, okay, like, hey, you want to see the market go up a little bit, you know, and then you want to get back in. So then I'm like, okay, like, but then I'm like, how much sense does that make? Yeah. You know, if, if I said, hey, I have a, well, I'll use a lawnmower as an example. Like, hey, I have a lawnmower. I know I'm going to need this lawnmower, but you know what? Lawnmowers are just not really with it right now. Uh, even if I went to sell it, I'm, it's worth less than what I paid for it. You know, I'll go ahead and sell it right now and get what I can, and then I'll just get another one whenever lawn markets or lawnmowers, you know, they kind of find their, find their footing a little bit. Right. You know, so like, why would I sell a lawnmower for $1,000 and buy the same one back for 1500 bucks? Yeah. That's just not logical. Right, right. That just doesn't make any sense. But yet, that's what people do every single day. You know, and main cause of that is fear, yeah. is really all that is, is the fear of not having enough, the fear of running out. You know, I'll have, I've had a conversation actually last couple of weeks with the client. Um, she's new to investing, so to, so to speak, very successful young professional. Um, so we did, the, we did the planning bit and, you know, I said, hey, you know, you're younger, you're in your 30s, you can be a little more aggressive. And, you know, so, I mean, she's down a little bit since she started. And she called me one day and she said, hey, what do we do if this goes all the way down to zero? <laughs> so, so and my response to her was, you know, hey, that's why, you know, we've got you diversified out. You own 20 to 30 different stocks. Like, hey, like, eventually they're going to get so cheap where people are going to want to buy them. So I even told her, I was like, hey, if you got some extra cash, honestly, probably now not is the best time to buy it. You know, so I always say investor psychology is basically to do the opposite of probably what your brain tells you to do. So, you know, whenever you're like, oh, man, it's terrible. Like, I need to take my money out. It's probably perfect time to have some dry powder and buy some stuff up for cheap that everybody else who's fearful is getting rid of, right? And then secondly, when, you know, hey, market's running and doing well, you know, right? And you're like, oh, okay, hey, now's the time to get in. Eh, that's probably the time to maybe cut some profit and put a little bit in your back pocket and, and go from there, right? Um, so, but we'll go next slide. So this slide here, basically, once again, it's just kind of a carryover from that last slide, but just to show you as far as up and downs in the market, you know, so once again, tracks it over a long period of time, you know, say, call it almost, well, 65, 70 years. And it shows you the growth so as you can see, there's always an upward trajectory here, but also notice it's not in a straight line, right? So once again, you know, just understand that, you know, hey, ups and downs happen, but there's more ups than downs. So, so really on this chart too, notice that the, the blue is periods of market growth, market expansion, and the purples at the bottom are recessions, okay, and the length of, of said recession, okay? So I, I put this chart in here to say this, that, you know, the market has more good days than bad days, you know, so it's not anything to be fearful of or scared of or anything like that when, you know, used correctly to, to your individual situation, okay? And then we'll go last slide here, and then I will wrap and we'll, we'll take a break. So love this, love this slide, love this slide, love this slide. 
So, I'll, I'll use Mr. Jim Ziegler as, a, as an example here. So, Mr. Jim, say you and I sat down on New Year's Eve, 1999. Such a time. I had hair. You know, we, we were rocking and rolling. But, and I were to tell you that, hey, all these events are going to happen every single year for the next 20 years. And I say, you know what, Mr. Jim, I think this is just a great time to invest money. And we're just going to do so awesome if I had, you know, if I was Nostradamus, right? And we're able to tell you that, hey, all these different events were going to happen. And you would probably look at me and probably, you'd, you'd be nice. And you say, let me pray about that and get back with you. <laughs> you know, especially with that knowledge, you know. But despite all these events, every single year over the last 20 years, the market, which is the, we'll call it, I believe that's the S&P, 498% cumulative return over the last 20 years. Okay. Um, other than the numbers, the one thing I love about this chart, as far as just the size of the return, is on that right side of the page, how many negative figures do you see? Right? To, to me, that's extremely powerful because there's always a reason, you know, to be fearful and to, I call it pearl clutch, right? Where you just, oh, you know, got to keep it, keep it, keep it, you know, bear it in the backyard, you know. Also, just to know, like, when I say bear it in the backyard, that's, Keep it in your savings account. To me, that's the same thing. Um, that, that, that's, that's very telling. So, and the reason I bring that up is I know Brother Jerry's talking about financial freedom and, you know, more so, I like to also call it financial flexibility, you know, to be able to have the wherewithal to, to do things that God maybe have call, has called you to do. You know, so even using this example here, you know, as far as, you know, we'll call it $100,000, like, okay, hey, if I had $100,000 back in 99 and I kept it in my savings account, I still have $100,000 today, you know, which isn't nothing to sneeze at, sure. you know, but how much more, right. right? So now when Pastor Jordan gets up and says, like, hey, we have these projects to do, you know, it's a lot easier to say, like, hey, I can, you know, either pay for it yeah. outright myself, yeah. you know, or like, hey, I can, you know, Instead of giving a thousand dollars, I can give ten. Yeah. You know, by essentially doing the same thing, which is save my money, just the method's just a little different. Yeah. You know, right? So, you know, so like I said, I always like to end with that slide because I think that's definitely a powerful tool. Um, I do like they had a little sense of humor in 2006. Yeah. <laughs> so, so 2006 was a good year. It tells you how young I am. That's when I graduated high school. So, um, but yeah, so no, but what we'll do is um, we'll take a break, and whenever we reconvene, Brother Jerry and I will be more than happy to, um, to answer any questions. Um, Pastor, Brother Sean, you need to give any instructions? Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.